0: Good morning, our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 63 verses 1 through 11, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped this is the word of the lord
1: amen thank you marcia um our lives are filled with all kinds of questions that rattle around in our hearts and some of them are superficial questions like "Ah, did i remember to turn in that report or what am i going to feed the kids for dinner tonight Um, We also have deeper questions in our lives, like, is my job okay? Are my grades okay? Are the kids okay? But there's one question in our lives that is so deep, so vulnerable, and so central to the core of our existence that if the answer to that question is at all in doubt, it's like our very existence is in doubt. What is that question? Well, let me get at it like this. Many of you may have seen the movie Social Dilemma on Netflix It's about the harmful, addictive effects of social media in our life. One of the characters in that movie is a 13-year-old girl named Isla. And one night, she's sitting in bed looking at her phone at a photo that she posted, but it only got two likes. And so she deletes that photo, holds up her phone, purses her lips and takes another photo but before she posts that photo online this time she uses an app to put different effects and makeup and filters on the photo and when she posts that photo all of a sudden she starts racking up the likes cute oh my gosh so beautiful you're so awesome and she's like happy because it's like hey this is working but then a mean girl says i don't know if you can see it can you make your ears bigger ha ha And all of a sudden, you could see her whole sense of self just start to collapse, so much so that later she's looking at herself in the mirror and she starts touching her ears wondering, is there something wrong with them? Is there something wrong with me? Until finally a tear falls down her cheek. Now, you know this is not just 13-year-old girls. Put your face in this mirror, and we've all been there because her face reveals the question that lies buried in each one of our hearts. And the question is not, is my job okay? Are my kids okay? Are my grades okay? The question is, who am I and am I okay? It's the question of our identity. And if the answer to that question is at all in doubt, what do we feel? Many people call it despair, And that's what we're going to call it this morning as well now people call this experience different things so i don't want us to get hung up on the word but despair this morning is an experience of hopelessness that the validity of your personal identity is beyond your ability to secure where your personal identity the validity of your identity is beyond your ability to secure it's hopelessness in that now what does that mean and how do we find hope In the midst of that well that's what we're looking at this morning we're in a series in which we're looking at various psalms that show us how to process our most challenging emotions through prayer so let's look at this form of despair this morning by seeing three things in this psalm we're going to see the root of despair the reason for despair and lastly the resolution of despair okay the root the reason and the resolution despair. So, first, the root of despair. Now, this psalm was written by David, the famous king of Israel, and the first thing we need to see is something that's not actually in the main body of the text of the psalm itself. It's actually the heading. The heading of the psalm says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, wilderness literally means the desert, but that means way more than just an inhospitable, insalubrious climate here's what's really happening. David had a son named Absalom who gathered an army and staged a hostile takeover. He wanted to murder David. He wanted to take the kingdom, the throne, take the nation. He wanted to take all of that away from David. So, David had to flee the city and run for his life. It happened so fast, he didn't even have time to pack. This was the lowest time in David's life. But here's the thing, he knew that it was all his own fault. Because many years earlier, he had taken a woman named Bathsheba, slept with her, and then when she became pregnant, he had her husband killed in order to cover it up. But then a prophet named Nathan came to David and said, David, God forgives you, but because you have done this, the sword will never depart from your house. You know how pretty much every family has sin and dysfunction and unhealthy patterns and even patterns of evil that perpetuate themselves generation after generation? That's what David had done to his family, and now it's all coming down on him so that everything Absalom is trying to do, the jealousy, rebellion, murder, betrayal, all of that is the the fallout of what David had done to his own family. His, he blew up his life and everything is falling apart so that he's lost his family, he's lost his kingdom, he's lost his reputation. He's about to lose his life. He's a failure in every way a failure as a king, failure as a father, failure as a man. He's a failure in every single way. David is in despair, but why? What is it that we need, every single one of us, as human beings? And yes, of course, the answer, of course, is God. Um, and we'll talk more about that in just a bit. But before we rush to fill in the blank with the Sunday school answer to our deepest needs, can we talk a little about the needs themselves? How does David describe his experience as a human being? Look at what he says in verse 1. Earnestly I seek, my soul thirsts, my flesh faints as in a dry and weary land where there is no water he's saying human beings are the kinds of beings that are seeking thirsting longing beings what are we longing for well he tells us in verse three he goes on to say your steadfast love is better than life and again can we just forget for a moment that David is talking about God what is he longing for he's longing for a love He's longing for a sense of welcome and belonging an experience of validation for a stamp of approval that says, you are good, you are worthy, you are desired. He's longing for a love that is so affirming that if we don't have that in our life, we feel like a ghost, like we don't even exist. But if we could get that in our life, David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. You know how when you're really hungry, but then you eat just an amazing meal, the kind of satisfaction you feel in your body? David is saying that if we could really get the love we're longing for, that we would experience that kind of satisfaction in our soul. Friends, this is an inescapable human longing. So for instance, there was an essay in the New York Times a few years ago called The Enduring Hunt for Personal Value. Right at the beginning, here's what the author says, why does Michael Phelps keep returning to a brutal training regimen in the pool long after he's achieved every imaginable accolade as a swimmer? Or why do people who have earned hundreds of millions of dollars, even billions, work relentlessly to earn even more long after it could possibly make any material difference in their lives? Or... Why does a substantial group of politicians with no remote chance of being elected president feel compelled to traverse the country campaigning 18 hours a day for more than two years? He says, as little as these people have in common, their shared core hunger is for value. Once our basic needs are met, we human beings arguably crave value above all else. We each want desperately to matter, to feel a sense of worthiness despair is what we feel when we're cut off from that. It's Despair is what we feel when our longing to be somebody, to be a person of worth and meaning and value, when we're cut off from any hope of ever really laying hold of that. That's what despair is, and that leads to our next point. We've just seen the root of despair, but secondly, we need to see the reason for despair. Think about all the things that go into making up your identity, things like your relationships or your family or your achievements or your economic status, political status, religious status, or your social, ethnic, sexual, or gender status. It could be any one of those things or any combination of things. those things that go into giving us a, a sense of personal identity so that we say, well, this is who I am. This is how I know I matter. Here's the point whatever those things were for David, he had totally failed in every single one of those things. And yet, when you look at this psalm, he's not crushed in despair. So that by the very end of the psalm, notice what he says, the king shall rejoice in God. David is rejoicing. He's exulting. How can he do that? Well, this whole psalm shows us, but let me point out a couple of things first David has a profound sense of belonging to God so you notice in verse one he calls God my God in verse eight he says your right hand upholds me he has a profound sense that he belongs to God but secondly um, it's not just an intellectual knowledge David is immersed in this. He's experiencing this in a profound way. So if you look at verses two and three, he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. David is saying that the place where I know I belong, where I experience a love and an affirmation, the love and affirmation of God, it's in the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary was a real tent that God commanded the Israelites to build when they were in the wilderness, but the tent, the sanctuary, is the place of God's presence. It's the place where God's love is real. David is saying, the sanctuary, in the sanctuary, I experience a love that is better than life. It's better than life. Now, here's what's especially important for us to notice about this. When David says this, he's talking about a love that is given to him, not a love that he gives to himself. His identity is defined by that love. Now here's why this is so important for us. What defines your identity? We're all looking for a love and an affirmation that says you are good. It's good that you exist. You're worthy of love and belonging. We're all looking for that, but where do we get it? Our culture has a narrative that tells us where we get it. We say it doesn't matter what others think of you. The only thing that matters Is what you think of yourself this is one of the most prevalent and powerful narratives in our culture and you know it really lays hold of some important truths about our lives in this world and the first is this this narrative recognizes that when people say or do things hurtful to you that that can really harm you remember our 13 year old friend from the beginning our this our culture recognizes that's wrong The Bible recognizes that's wrong. So, in this psalm, notice it says that the mouths of of liars will be stopped. When people say or do hurtful things to you, the message we receive is you're bad, you're unworthy. That's a lie, and we need to be freed from that. We shouldn't have our identity worth and value determined by other people. The Bible affirms that, and our culture affirms that. Our culture says it it doesn't matter what other people think about you. You shouldn't get your identity, worth, and value from other people. So far, so good. But then our culture goes on to say you should be able to give your worth and value to yourself. The only thing that matters is what you think of yourself. Now, let's just stop and ask the question, how's that working out for us? When people say and do harmful things to you, When you're tempted to doubt your identity, worth, and value because of what they say and do, that's a lie, and we need to be freed from it. But the even bigger lie, and the way more dangerous lie, is the lie that your identity, worth, and value is something that you can give to yourself. I mentioned Alan Noble a couple of weeks ago. Alan is a great Christian writer. His most recent book is called You Are Not Your Own. At the very beginning of the book, he says that our whole modern Western culture is based on this idea I am my own and I belong to myself. Our culture is based on this idea I am my own and I belong to myself. And then throughout the rest of the book, he just walks through all these different implications of this idea. He said, if you belong to yourself, according to our culture, then you have the responsibility to justify your own existence, to create your own identity, to discover your own meaning, and to choose your own morality. Does this sound familiar to you? Of course it does. It's because our culture tells us you belong to yourself. Our culture says you must create your own identity, your own sense of love and worth and value. Now, that sounds wonderful, but the problem is it doesn't work. It sounds great, but the reality is we can't give ourselves the love and affirmation that we really need. It always has to come from outside of ourselves. So, for instance, if we went back to the movie Social Dilemma, Um, In that movie, they interview a guy named Tristan Harris. He was a design ethicist at Google. Listen to what he says at one point. We evolved to care about whether other people in our tribe think well of us or not because it matters. But were we evolved to be aware of what 10,000 people think of us? We were not evolved to to have social approval being dosed to us every five minutes. Now, notice a couple of things about this. In the first place, he's saying, look, it's really unhealthy to live for the approval of other people, especially thousands of other people. But on the other hand, notice he is saying that we do care about what other people think, and not only that, but it does matter, that what other people think does matter. In other words, we can't create our own identity because we can't give ourselves the love that we need. It always has to come from outside of ourselves. Friends, the root of despair is when we feel cut off from the love that we need. The reason for despair is because we can't give that love to ourselves, and yet we're constantly trying. And even more, we believe the lie, our culture tells us, that we can and should do it. How do we resolve all of that? Well, that leads to our last point, We've seen the root of despair. We've just seen the reason for despair. But lastly, we need to take a look at the resolution of despair. Let's go back to David's story. Remember, on the one hand, David is he's a failure in every area of his life that would have given his life worth and value and meaning. And not only that, he knows it's because there's very real evil in his life. And yet, on the other hand, David is rejoicing because he has this experience of belonging to God, belovedness in God. That Those two things, how can both of those be true at the same time? They feel like total opposite, and yet, David has found a way to hold both of those things together in one coherent identity. How can he do that? And even more, how could we do that? Well, let's first ask the question, what prevents us from doing that? I, wanna, I think maybe one of the best places to do this is a little book that was written about 170 years ago by a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. The book is called The Sickness Unto Death, and it's all about despair over our identity. I'm going to try to do something that's probably crazy, but I'm going to try to summarize this book in just a couple of sentences for you maybe more than a couple. Basically, Kierkegaard says there are two ways of being in despair over our identity. And the first way is when you want to be yourself, but the self you want to be is not your real self. So for instance, that's like taking a photo of yourself, but but putting it through all kinds of filters and effects and things like that before you post it on social media. It's not the real you, but you want it to be. And even if you got 10,000 likes on that photo, you would still be in despair because you know it's not the real you. So, for instance, if we could go back to the movie Social Dilemma just one more time, another guy they interview is uh, a fellow named Chamath uh, Polyhapatira, or Palihapatiya, I'm sorry, uh, he was a VP of growth at Facebook. And listen to what he says. He says, we curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection. And by the way, let's just stop there and notice, when he says that, what he's talking about is these unrealistic standards that, that our culture puts out there for us. It's totally unrealistic, not real. It's false. He says, we curate Our lives, we build, we customize our lives around this perceived sense of perfection. It's a lie because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value, and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it really is, is fake, brittle popularity that's short-term and that leaves you even more, and admit it, he says, vacant and empty than before you did it. He's saying, and look, this is not just social media, right? I mean, social media is one and one of the most recent ways that we do this, but our society is filled with infinite ways. We are infinitely creative in ways of of projecting a false self to the world around us and then demanding that that world validate and affirm and recognize our identity. And it leaves us empty because the first way of despair is when we want to be ourself, but the self we want to be is not our real self. But secondly, Kierkegaard says the other way we can be in despair about our identity is when we don't want to be ourself precisely because it is our real self. That would be like the photo you don't want to post on Facebook or Instagram because it's the real you with warts and all. We don't like that. We don't want to be that self. That's what Kierkegaard says. That is what despair is. And by the way, this is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is when you're basing or building your identity on something other than God. It's when we don't want to be the self that God created us to be. That's what sin is. Now, here's the question. How does David resolve this? And even more, how can we resolve all of this in our own lives? The only way is because David went into the sanctuary. Remember, the sanctuary is this tent that God commanded the Israelites to build in the wilderness. The sanctuary was the place of God's presence or the place where God's love was real. But the only reason that the sanctuary could be the place of God's love is because the sanctuary is also the place of sacrifice. When David or any Israelite walked through the curtains of the tent, the very first thing they would have seen right in front of their eyes was an altar that was was a place of sacrifice where the blood of an innocent victim, whether a bull or an ox or a lamb, would have been shed and poured out as a sacrifice for their sin. Now, I know that sounds a little archaic, but experientially that would have been an immersive way of experiencing the reality that the only way we can come back into the Presence and the love of God is by dealing first with our sin and the things that separate us from God, primarily the, our refusal to be the self that God created us to be. our refusal to be the self that God calls us to be. So for David and any Israelite, that's the first thing they would have seen when they walked into the sanctuary. But here's the amazing thing about the temple or the sanctuary, is, yes, the altar is the first thing you see. But it's just the doorway it's the threshold but it's not the center of the sanctuary that means that your sin yes it describes you but your sin doesn't define you because the further in you go the deeper in you go to the heart of the sanctuary to the center of the sanctuary what's in the center the love of god That means that the thing that really defines you is the love of God. And the further you go into the sanctuary, the further you go into that love. That's what defines you. And by the way, that's why David can say at the very end of this psalm, the king will rejoice in God. And notice he doesn't say, I will rejoice in God, although that would have been very true. He says, the king. This is the only psalm out of all the many Psalms in the Bible that David wrote, it's the only place in the Psalms where David calls himself the king. And friends, that is not a coincidence. It's a reaffirmation of his identity. It's a reaffirmation of of who God created him to be and who God called him to be in spite of all of the stuff, all the other truths that were going on in his life at that time. The truth about his failure and his sin and his evil and his shortcomings, including the truth about all the people that were lying about him. He's saying, all of that, none of that matters. I am the king. It's a reaffirmation of his identity. And that's why the last verse of the psalm says, the mouths of liars will be stopped. Do you see? The sanctuary is is the place where all the lies get undone and we experience the truth of who we are in God. It's the place where all the lies are undone, all of the lies of the things that people say about you, but also, and even more importantly, the lie that our culture tells us that you belong to yourself and that you can create your own identity. All the lies are undone. The, place, the sanctuary is the place where the lies are undone and the love is real. Now, how can you get there? You know, the amazing thing about the gospel is that it tells us that because of Jesus, We don't have to go to a tent in the wilderness to get this. That through Jesus and his death on the cross, Jesus has established a new sanctuary in your heart, a portable sanctuary that exists inside of you. It's called the Temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's a place where you can experience the love of God because on the cross, Jesus lost the love of God. You know, in this psalm, David is driven out into the wilderness because of his sins. His identity as king is called into question because of his sin. But Jesus is the the ultimate king, the true King David, and he was driven into the ultimate wilderness of the cross, not because of his own sins, because he had none, but because of our sins. And this is the one who just a few years earlier, when Jesus began his public ministry, He was baptized in the Jordan River, and it says that when he came out of the water, the heavens were opened, and the voice of God came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And everybody heard it. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? Like the the validation and the approval and the love that just would have been pouring out on him in front of everybody else? Talk about an identity that's secure, Jesus had the ultimate identity, but on the cross, His identity wasn't just called into question. It was stripped away from Him so that you and I could have an identity that can never be taken away from us. It's an identity that is secure because our identity now is not based on anything we do or who we are. It's based on who Jesus is and what He did for us on the cross. So that when you look at Jesus hanging on, a, on the cross, friends, that's a hard truth because it's showing us the truth about who we are, all our failures, all our sins, all our refusals to be the person, the self that God created us to be. But when you look at Jesus hanging on the cross, arms nailed wide, that is giving you an experience of arms that are welcoming you in and giving you an experience where all of your failures, all of your sins, all of that is bound up and absorbed in a a radical experience of the love of God. And that defines you. In fact, we could put it like this. At the end of the day, here's what all of this means, that if you belong to Jesus, sin describes you, but God's love defines you. If you belong to Jesus, yes, your sin describes you, but God's love defines you. You know, our culture has an emphasis on this uh, ideal of authenticity, and it says that real authenticity, true authenticity, is when you look inside and you listen to your inner voice, and your inner voice tells you who you really are. You know the problem with our culture's view of authenticity is not that, that it's too far into this ideal of authenticity, is that it doesn't go far enough. The gospel says that real authenticity, true authenticity is, yes, we go into the sanctuary, We go inside and we listen not to our own inner voice, but to the voice of the Father who tells us who we really are. That's who we really are. Your voice will lie to you. (laughs) The sanctuary is the place that undoes all the lies and gives you a true experience of God's love for you, who you are in Him. That's what happens to us when we go into the sanctuary and listen to the voice of the Father. Friends, I want to close like this by just reading something to you um rowan williams is an anglican priest and he wrote a book some years ago about what it means to follow jesus and he just says this he says you have an identity not because you have invented one but because you have a witness of who you are that means you don't have to um to uh, to build yourself you don't you don't have to um to construct yourself you don't have to build yourself up in anything else all you have to do is rest in this love of god friends what what he's saying is that everything you are everything you do everything you are and everything you have been is bound together in a unifying gaze of love that's what he's saying so that when you Bring all that you are as a human being, everything you've done, everything that's happened to you, all of your shortcomings and sins and failures, that all of that, you can now hold all of that together in one coherent identity without hating yourself and without projecting a false self to the world around you because everything that you are is unified in God's gaze, in God's witness of of who you are, telling you who you are in His love. If, if, if you belong to Jesus, sin describes you, but the love of God defines you. Friends, take this psalm. Go into the sanctuary. Listen to His voice. Let it tell you who you are. Let it undo all the lies, and let it define you in His love. Let's pray. Abba, we praise you this morning that your love is the most real thing in the world, and that your love, praise you, God, is the thing that really defines us. So that even though our sin describes very true realities about our lives, Lord, we thank you that the deeper we go into who you are, that the farther we go into your sanctuary, the more we find out the truth about ourself. And Father, we pray this morning that you would help us as human beings to be more and more defined by your love, that we would... Um, abandon and renounce all our efforts to either construct a false self and project it to the world around us or to refuse to be the true self that we really are out of fear and of of vulnerability father help us to embrace all that we are because all that we are is unified in your love and we pray that you would help us to do this now for we pray it all in the name of our savior jesus christ amen friends we're going to receive our offering at this time um, due to health concerns, we don't pass a basket, but there is a basket in the foyer there on your way out. Um, this is an opportunity for members and regular attenders of the church to participate with us in our vision as a church. Our vision is to see a city made new by the gospel, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Now, if you are new or visiting, we want to invite you, please, to remain our guest and our visitor and not feel any obligation to um, contribute financially to the church. In fact, um, if you're going through any economic hardship, we would invite you to go online to our website. There's a COVID-19 page there with information about how you can get in touch with us if you're going through any hardship right now. We have funds set aside to help you, so please let us know if there's anything that we can do for you. But for all of us, this is an opportunity to ponder, to go into the sanctuary, to take a moment to to listen not to our own inner voice, but to listen for the voice of the Father defining you in his love. Let me pray for us, and the band is going to play for us. Abba, we thank you for these gifts and these offerings, and we pray even now that you would use these to multiply the work, the seed of your gospel in this community, that many others would come to see and know and love the reality of, uh, of how your love defines us, Father. For we pray all of these things
0: in Jesus' name. Amen.